0: Hello, guys. Welcome back to the Masterclass, the Manchester United Tactical Podcast brought to you by Manscaped. I hope you had an absolutely fantastic Christmas. It is Boxing Day, my favourite day of the year because, Rob, it's just football day. I'm Hader Abani, joined by my co-host as ever, Rob Blanchett. Manchester United have just drawn two all against high-flying Leicester City. Unfortunately, we conceded a late goal to share the points. Rob, welcome back. Merry Christmas. What did you make of today's performance?
1: Merry Christmas to you, mate, and Merry Christmas to all our viewers and listeners across the world. Um, I'm a bit disappointed in the end. You know, I think Leicester are a very good team. They're going to be top four contenders or at least top six. Uh, I think United tried something a bit different today with the system and we'll talk about all the intricacies and what Ole was trying to do in the match. But I think when you're in control in the final 10 minutes of a game like that, where you've had to kind of manage the scenarios that are in front of you you really want to win the game so I think we're a bit bit disappointed both Leicester goals were very much preventable for different reasons and we'll get into that today but overall a point against a contender for the top four is not a bad result but in retrospect looking back
0: Manchester United should have won this game I agree. Guys, get your comments in, please. We want a lot of interaction today. We want to know your thoughts. Do you think it was two points dropped or a point gained? Any time will tell. We're going to start, Rob, talking about the formation. Setup. So, Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts over here about the setup. And do you think Oli got it spot on? I think he did get it spot on today and it
1: was two variations to the to the system that are different to what we normally see with Manchester United. So as you can see on the screen here from who scored, it looks like a 4-2-3-1. And obviously Ollie plays 4-2-3-1 all the time. We know he goes back to that system. But today wasn't a traditional Manchester United 4-2-3-1. Why was that? Well, it was mainly to do with the position of Lindelof and Luke Shaw. So looking at it here on the right-hand side... Lindelof there looks like he's playing right back. And there were very much times where he was on the right-hand side of the defence. But it was essentially a back three that was shifted to the right-hand side to clog up the channels, to go and do a job on Harvey Barnes and to stop uh, Jamie Vardy finding space in a channel to run. And it worked. You know, overall, you know, Leicester couldn't really exploit that. And after half, the, half an hour, um, you found that they changed their formation and their shape a little bit just to, just to address that. And you saw Luke Shaw as well was pushing forward into what was a left-hand side of midfield role and allowing Fred to drop in almost as a centre-back at times, out of possession when United was starting their ball attacks. Um, It was interesting. It was different. And it was something that Ole, I think, could employ more in weeks to come because the shape did suit the players that he put out there today. And it's a little bit different to maybe the standard flat 4-2-3-1 that we do see where you're really relying on counter-attack or you're relying on maybe the, the the three behind the striker to do all the creativity. There was a bit more fluidity through the team today. Like the second goal for Manchester United actually starts from Eric Bailly. It doesn't start from Cavani, which is where people will think it did. It came because Bailly stepped out with the ball and played it into Cavani. So we're going to look at all of these things today, look at a breakdown, the main parts of it, because I think we could be here for two hours, but we're not going to do that. We're going to come in under an hour because that's what people want from a podcast. Uh, And we're going to talk about the main parts of Manchester United's game today.
0: I completely agree. Rob, let's read out some of the comments from our fantastic listeners. So Masoud is saying here, frustrating result. I think there's a lot of uh, that sort of feeling. Ahmed is saying as well, I think it's two points dropped, but I think it's a fair point for both sides having watched the game. I think Rob Ford, the neutral, it was a pretty pretty exciting game. I thought tactically it was intriguing and I thought that both sides were pretty equal. Um, Ben's got a comment over here. Thought United edged the game, but a couple of lapses in concentration cost us spot on. It's nothing new, but showed why we're not going to push for the title this season. I think that's uh, a fantastic comment. And uh, Yehuda saying we missed an opportunity today. Rob, let's talk about Lindelof a little bit more because there was a lot of um, surprise to see him playing at right-back. But he didn't play like a traditional right-back, did he? When you look at um, the way that Oli wants his right-backs to play, usually you look at Wan-Bissaka, they're asked to go forward. But the key today was really to shut, shut the supply to Vardy because we all know with Jamie Vardy with his pace, He can cause a lot of problems. So what did United do well? What did that back three slash four, obviously when Shaw came back, what did they do well today? Well, let's look also here at the Leicester system that we've got
1: up on the screen at the moment for everyone watching live. Um, You can see there that Harvey Barnes plays to the left-hand side of uh, an attacking midfield. United's idea today defensively was to stop Harvey Barnes getting any joy on that left-hand side, and he didn't. When he scored his goal in the first half, it all comes about from what's effectively a poor mistake from Bruno Fernandes. And the ball breaks to Barnes centrally. He can bring it onto his left-hand side. He shoots and he scores. And really, David Haye, I don't think, will be very pleased with his own position in there. Because if he's in the centre of the goal, he probably saves it. Um, Overall, Lindelof was on that right-hand side today. As I said, a back three that shifted maybe one position to the Right. So you saw Baye effectively acting as a centre-back on his own at times. Maguire was spreading it, coming to the left as a left-back at times. But Lindelof's main job today on that right-hand side was not to push forward like Aaron Wambasaka would do. You know, Wambasaka was injured today, and that's why Lindelof played. But Lindelof, much more than Aaron Wambasaka, is very good at looking after that space that's inside. Why? Because he's a centre-back. He knows what that space means. He knows what he has to do there. So Harvey Barnes didn't really get any joy off that left-hand side, even though that's what Leicester were trying to do. They were trying to play through him, through Madison. And overall, Manchester United's shape negated that. And as I said, after 30 minutes, you saw really with Brendan Rodgers made two or three little tweaks to the attack, just to try and join the dots a little bit more, to give Vardy a little bit more support around there. And, you know, Vardy scores the goal today. Obviously, it was deflection. But he got nothing in the game at all. So I think Ole will look at the the game plan that he put out today and feel that it was a success. But it were two key errors for the goals. Bruno Fernandes gives the ball away in what is a bad area. You can give it away on the halfway line, but don't give it away 20 yards from your own box like that. Don't dilly-dally. And for the second goal, Paul Pogba has to do a lot more for me. He gets caught on the wrong side. You know, you're trying to see the game out. Get the right side of your man. Doesn't matter if you're one of the three going forward, get the right side. We always talk about being goal side in football. And in the second wave, when they're in the box, you've got to do a little bit more as well. And Popper's got to drop deep and help. And he doesn't. So those two mistakes by, you know, attacking midfielders, you could say, were really the, the key to the result at the end of the day. But overall, shape was really good. You know, if we win this game 2-1, we would be sat here now saying that it was a bit of a masterclass from Ole, how he set up, he tried something a little bit different and it worked. But just at the end of the day, Manchester United couldn't see the result through. Something we have seen from this Manchester United team before, where they can't quite get over the line when they're actually in front.
0: I agree, Rob. We've got some comments here um, from... Oh, uh, he's saying, for me, it was Maguire and McTomney as well as Bruno, who was at fault for the goal. Let's talk about that goal, Rob, because I yeah. think I I agree with you. It starts with Bruno, but it's a sequence of errors for me, and I tweeted that during the game. You had Maguire's clearance, which was poor, but from Bruno in that position, you cannot be trying to nutmeg a player. That's that's crazy. You shouldn't be doing that. Not looking after the ball. And then, obviously, it goes to Barnes, and I felt like McTomney and Baye should have closed the player down quicker, but it's a great finish. And then, Some people think it's De Gea's fault as well on the line. I don't really think so, but it's a sequence of errors. And this is not the first time we're seeing this. And today, both goals came from errors, didn't they? And that's a frustrating thing because on the whole, I think, yeah, you could say it was a fair result, but Manchester United created enough to win. And if it weren't for those two mistakes, I don't think Leicester did anything excellent today or out of the ordinary. Man United would be sitting here with two more points and we'd be second in the league. Okay, let's hyper-analyse the goals a little
1: bit more as we've got the the kind of focus on this. Yep, the first point, Maguire makes a tiny mistake, but he does move the ball out. So he doesn't lose the ball in that scenario. When the ball comes to Bruno, Bruno, obviously being a creative player, wants to kind of nutmeg the player in front of him, set the attack off. But when you're that close to your box you've got to be safe. You've either got to hold the ball for a few more seconds so someone can come into play and help you, or you've got to take the ball wider into a less dangerous area. And what he did was he tried to be clever, nutmeg the Leicester player, and that's where the goal comes from. Now, let's look at this in terms of real-world logistics, like we're on the football pitch playing this game. If you're Scott McTominay and that ball comes to you and it comes to Harvey Barnes 25 yards, 30 yards from goal – your first thought is, what is my job? That's very easy to say that Bruno Fernandes has made a big mess and my job is to go and clean up his mess. But that's not how footballers work generally. Not in that position. Your first thought is, what do I do? And his first job is, I have to look after the space around me. I'm in the pivot in this position. Eric Baye is a centre-back. And you're there as, a, as your job is to kind of stop the shot coming in. Now, in hindsight... Scott McTominay would be saying yeah maybe I should have closed him down but it's not a mistake I don't I'm not selling it as a mistake there's no way I'm sat here thinking it's those two players fault when Harvey Barnes gets the ball on the edge of the box you want people in the way of the shot and they were but Barnes gets it to the left and he cracks one and De Gea needs to shuffle across to the right and he needs to get closer to his post to close that down so it's. I wouldn't say it's a, what we've seen with United in recent weeks where you may get four or five errors in one go. The error is Bruno's, and then there's kind of 50-50s along the way, all the way across. I don't blame Maguire. He did a little slip, but he got the ball out. He didn't give the ball away. I don't blame McTominay because he can't be expected to clean up every mess of a player in front of him. And I think Eric Bailly was playing at the centre-back position at that point. You want him to stay rooted to stop the shot, case it goes centre, to protect the goalkeeper. It's Bruno's fault. That's whose fault it is. You know, we love him, and he did well today. He got a really good assist, which again I don't think he got much uh, praise for on the TV, where they were saying, "Oh, you know, he just." It was kind of a mistake. He got his studs on the ball. I think he actually means that, and obviously the finish is fantastic when he's playing as a false nine. So you will get that with Bruno Fernandes with that kind of uh, that kind of play. But he needs to be more assured himself there that he doesn't give the ball away where he's then selling his team down the river. And people are saying, oh, why did McTominay not close the play? Again? Hey, what? i I'm, I'm Scott McTominay. I'm thinking I'm doing my job. You know, I'm in the correct position. Yep, If I'm going to come out to protect, then I've got to really dash out and do that. But what happens if someone slides that ball through my legs into Vardy? Vardy's running in behind me, but I can't see him. That's what I'm thinking. That's that's real world football, and you have to think about those things. Uh, we'll talk about the second goal a little bit more on after that. But it was that that was really the only mistake that United made in the first half. Even though Leicester, I think, maybe edged it in terms of some of their quality, um, but that was frustrating to give that goal away because it put United in a in a bad position when they shouldn't have been.
0: Absolutely, Rob. I mean, I think that's pretty spot on. When Bruno does something fantastically well, we praise him. And when he makes a mistake, you have to call it out as well. You've got to be fair to everyone, and that's that's the key here. You know, Bruno can affect the game in a positive way, but also he did it in a negative way today as well. Rob, let's talk more about Luke Shaw's pressing because, as we've said already, the three centre backs had to deal with the you know with the channel, and they did did that really well today. I didn't really see Vardy very much. Madison was pretty anonymous. Barnes scored a brilliant goal, but. What was the significance of Shaw doing that? Because I thought he had a good game today. I thought he looked, um, you know, he looked sharp. He looked, he worked hard. He didn't really give them much of a sniff down our left-hand side flank. Um, is this a tactical thing that Ollie's just done just for one game, do you think? Or is this something we could see a little bit more with sides that have, you know, a lot of threat, uh, you know, sort of in the channels? I think we'll
1: see it more as the season unfolds because it plays into Tellers' hands. Tellers can play this system much more successfully than playing effectively a flat-back four in a 4-2-3-1 because Tellers isn't really good on the inside or what's behind him. He's a progressive fullback. So what we should say with Luke Shaw was not being an out-and-out out progressive wing-back or anything like that, but he was allowed to go and press the midfielder on the right-hand side. And the way United negated maybe the problems that could come with that was by letting Fred drop really deep. So when United were rolling the ball out from De Gea to a centre-back, Fred was coming right back in to kind of make an extra three. It was allowing Lindelof to go wider. And Lindelof wasn't pushing forward, you know, to go and mark Barnes. What you found at that point was that Luke Shaw was going much higher up the field towards the halfway line. So he was stretching that play. Now that makes it really hard for Vardy because Vardy doesn't know who he needs to go and address because he's got three players there and he really wants two centre-backs to address. So in a four, you go and address one of the centre-backs, very easy as a striker. When there's three players there, or effectively a five, because there is, because you've got Lindelof to the far right and you've got Luke Shaw pushing forward, incredibly hard to press the ball. And I think Leicester didn't have the usual success in that today. You know, they're normally really good, really busy at pressing the ball from the front. And today you see it looked a little bit lopsided and it was because of what Manchester United were doing. So I liked what Luke Shaw did today. You know, I don't need him to be a flying left wing back. You know, I think in that system, you just need him to join up the midfield and then hope that Fred and McTominay, who are both deeper as well, can give you a little bit more ball retention. Did they do that? Probably not. That's an issue. And I think that's why Pogba came onto the field with half an hour to go. Didn't surprise me that Dan James was sacrificed for that. Dan James is another player we need to talk about because I think on the right hand side of where he was playing, his role really was to kind of be that wing back. He was the guy who was supposed to come back, help with Harvey Barnes, but then really sprint forward. And you could see the first 10 minutes, he looked like. A duck out of water. He didn't know what he was doing. The space was behind him. Then when the ball was in front of him, he didn't know whether to go and press. And he was just a little bit like, do I go? Do I stay? Do I go more back? Do I get close to Lindelof? Do I go further away from Lindelof? And it looked a bit misshapen for about 10 or 15 minutes. But credit to him. He did kind of work through it but it was the right time to sacrifice him but when pogba came in and it became more of a traditional 4231 um there was 5 minutes where pogba went and played as the as the 10 or as the false nine and bruno went to the left hand side and in that 5 minutes United nearly got punished two or three times because it just looked really lopsided. That was the only part of the game where I felt really critical of Ole uh, because that's obviously something that's come from the manager to say, right, let's try this. But to his credit, he changed it very, very quickly. And United had chances to win it. You know, I think Cavani coming on was the right substitution. Great little ball, obviously, for Bruno. That join-up play is exactly what you want from a forward. Um, United nearly got it right today. You know, tactically, I think they got it there, 90%. But that 10% is always about what players do in your system. And Pogbert for the second goal, he's got to stay goal side. It's the it's one of those things that you teach all the time in training with kids. You talk to them about staying goal side because then you're protecting what's behind you. And when you're in that position, you're winning with what a few minutes to go. You've got to protect. doesn't matter who you are. You could be Paul Pogba, Scott McTominay, you know, or a player who's defensively minded or a player who's offensively minded. At that moment, you must protect and help your team. And Pogba didn't, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I agree with that, Rob. I want to sort of push into talking about Dan James because you've touched him already. And I think he gets a lot of, lot of stick now he's coming to the side and he's playing a position that he's not familiar playing with as you've mentioned already he's uh having to do a job which is not what he's what he usually does and to be honest i don't i don't see what he did so terribly wrong today you're seeing a lot of like awful football after last week he had a good performance yes he's not a top footballer we all know that but the the overreaction and hysteria from last week he was fantastic to this week oh now he shouldn't even be anywhere near the side ollie he's got it wrong consider all things considered I think he did a pretty good job on that right-hand side. Yes, he didn't show enough going forward, but you know. and I want to touch on the United's front three. His pass accuracy was in the 60s, Martial's was 50%, Rash was 79%, and Bruno's was in the 60s as well. So putting all of that together, United, I think they handled the turnover of possession pretty well, and well enough, but I think it was slow either to get the ball up to the front three, and the other problem was when the front three got the ball, they weren't getting it in space, they were getting it with a man behind them, so they were losing the ball. So, All those things considered, you know the front three, essentially, what more could they have done? Well, you don't play Dan James because he's a a ball player. That's
1: not what he's in the team for. Why do you play Dan James? It's because he's quick. So you play him because he's quick. Now, we know he's not a fullback either. He's not a wingback. But he can go and offer a bit of protection. I think uh, Ole said last year that Dan James is the best defensive wide player that he's got in his attack. So you can see why... He's leaning towards Dan James. Now, we've heard plenty in the last few weeks that Dan's been training really well, that he looks like he's taken a step forward. So Ole is trusting him. And as I've said in last week's podcast, it's really important that if a manager sees that a player is playing well in training, that there is some translation into a a path into the first team. Because otherwise, players just think, well, I'm not going to get picked, so what's the point in training? Or sell me, you know, get rid of me. January's coming, please Please just move me on. So I think with Dan James, yeah, he's not the the answer to that position for evermore, you know, but he's in the development stage of his career. And did he let anyone down today? No. As I said, in the first 10 minutes, I think he was struggling with the tactical job of what he had to do. And that was coming back to fill the space to protect Lindelof. But then on the front foot, being very aggressive and very positive. And you could see he was struggling with that mentally. He didn't quite know what to do. He didn't want to leave the space behind. But two or three times, the ball was coming from the Leicester back line and they were just chipping the ball over the top of him and they were in straight away. And then Lindelof's exposed. And Lindelof's like, ugh. And to Lindelof's uh, credit, he played that role well. He didn't overcommit himself. He didn't leave the space. What we see with Aaron, with Aaron Wambasaka, is that he vacates the space inside and he lets the runner go. And then United are in trouble. So United dealt with that tactically today. And I think with Dan James, we've got to give him time. You know, like, as I always say, if you don't want a player in your squad, or you, you don't choose to use him, then get rid of him, sell him. And United fans have to understand that. You know, you might not like him, but if he's in the squad, he's an option. And I think he was a good option today. You know, and I think after uh, an hour, the right thing to do was to try and get more some more ball possession. The right thing to do was to go and chase the win and look for... A second goal United got that second goal but couldn't hold on Uh, and in that moment you know as I said for the second uh, Leicester goal you need your midfield just to sit a little bit deeper have a little bit more of a low block in the last 10 minutes be a little bit more disciplined you're winning the game don't make a mistake United made a mistake is that Dan James's fault absolutely not it's not worth moaning about Dan James today
0: I'd agree with that, Rob. I'm going to read out some comments regarding Dan James. So Ben's got one over here. James is a new Lingard for scapegoatery. He did have a rubbish second half, but he was taken off, though. And Jonathan's saying here, I like Dan James. He's a young player, still learning and developing. The fan base is just toxicity now. I think eventually he'll be a good squad player. Rob, it's that neurosity that we talk about a lot, isn't it? That... um You know, there's always got to be one player that's going to be the target of all the, you know, all of the abuse. And I I don't think Dan James is particularly bad today. I don't think anyone was bad today, Rob, if I'm honest. He played a good side, a very good side, who are very well drilled. They've got some fantastic attacking players. James Madison Hardy has a sniff. Is it two points dropped? It feels like it right now. But I think maybe we'll see in a couple of weeks' time where is this going to be a good one point or is it going to be a a two-point drop? We'll see that when more results come. But um, I'm going to read out a question here, Rob, because it does link to... uh, what we are talking about regarding the fullbacks now i think united have got a problem at right back there's a comment in uh in the comment section which is saying that it looks like lindelof is out till mid-january now that's pretty big rob that's that's uh united looking probably to have to buy center back or they're gonna have to do something but the right back position we've talked about it a lot um this week we're not talking about wamba saka because he didn't play but it is a problem position for united maybe as much of a problem position as the right wing now Ben's asking, is this a setup today? The solution to United's lack of width from the fullbacks the wide attackers weren't getting into the same positions as the fullback for once. We've seen that a lot, haven't we, Rob, where, for example, Rashford will hug the touchline and it makes it difficult for sure to make those overlapping runs. United need to find the right combination at fullback, don't they, going forward? And I, I think personally that Tunzevi showed the other night against Everton that he's a viable option there. Do you, would you like to see Oli do that a little bit more?
1: There's no doubt that if United want to play this system going forward, and I think they will play it in the weeks to come and the months to come, that if Lindelof is out for any extended period, that Two and can do that job. No doubt about it. and Zabi in some ways, is much more suited to doing that job than Lindelof. Now, Lindelof's played the right side of maybe you could say a narrow back four or three or however you want to present it for his country before, which is why he played that today in that system. And he did okay. You know, he did the job. You know, I don't think when he went off that anyone was kind of moaning about Victor Lindelof. But and Zabi is probably built for that role a bit more. Why? Because he can do some traditional right-back things. He can bomb forward, He's good with his, with the ball at his feet. He's positionally quite tight. But he's also got recovery. So if something goes in behind him, he can kind of do what Aaron does. In the sense, that he can turn, face the ball, and run backwards. Now, people might think, again, that that's a simple thing to do. But when you're caught on your heels, it is quite difficult. You've got to be mentally driven to be ready to do that. So I think that Axel can do that. In the short term, I don't think that that means Manchester United suddenly go out and buy a fullback in in the transfer window. You're not going to get your primary targets this time of year. It's just not happening. You know, if there's someone that comes up that maybe fits the bill, like you know, someone you put your hand over your mouth and you talk about Alaba and players like this, and there might be opportunities with you know top class defenders who can do multiple things, then great, you go and get them. You try and get them, but. It's not reality. It doesn't generally happen. And I still think that if you want to go and buy a right back, you need to go and get someone that does different things to Wan-Bissaka. So you need someone who's progressively very good on the right-hand side, who's a right wing back, a mirror of what Telez does on the left, because that gives you options. That means you've got four fullbacks that can do those things. Now, we know that Ethan Laird can possibly do that. We know that kind of Brandon can do certain things on that side. There is options, but it's also about experience and tactical knowledge, and feeling happy with putting that eleven out every week and feeling that they can do what you've ter- told them to do in training all of that week before. Uh, and I think that's kind of the bigger question for Ole. Um, I, I think fullback is still something that United need to address, and they might not be able to address it till the summer. So I don't think fans should get too excited about that. Um, but I do think that if if you kind of want to play the system in the next two or three or four or five games, you've got Zabi. You might even rope Mengi into one of these roles eventually. You know I'm hot on Mengi and find him some minutes. Um, But Zabi for me, you know, he's unlucky with this goal today. It was a deflection. And I actually think for the the small spell that he was on for 20, 30 minutes, whatever it was, he did quite well. So, you know, no problems there at all with uh, what Axel does on the pitch
0: another thing about Axel Rob I do want to add is that he is a he's very good on the ball he's technically a good player and that that shows in comparison to wan I think wan looks a little bit more uncomfortable on the ball but Axel looks comfortable he also can press higher and he also seems more comfortable taking up those higher positions I'm going to read out a comment from Reese here Rob uh, the fullback's job is to be both an offensive and defensive threat my issue is Telus can only attack something we say a lot don't we Rob mm-hmm. he defensively he's not that good but offensively he's brilliant I think we've got a nice little combination on the left-hand side. If we want to play a bit more defensively, like we did against City, then Luke Shaw's the right choice. If we're going to go and play a Sheffield United, Telez is a better one if, you want to, if we're going to have most of the ball. But, Rob, I do want to talk now about Paul Pogba, because for me, as soon as Paul Pogba came on, that changed it for United in the sense where I think Leicester dropped back a little bit more. We started keeping the ball better. This is something I think we see a lot, which maybe fans don't necessarily realise when Pogba plays, you know, that Pogba has his simple presence being on the pitch the quality that he has he can he can scare oppositions and I thought that United were much more um maybe more attacking a little more calmer on the ball they're creating more chances but one thing I did notice is that when Pogba did come on he went centrally and Bruno shifted out to the left now that did change again when Cavani came on but let's talk a little bit about that little tactical change what did you like about Pogba playing as the number 10 because for me, it gets him on the ball, playing higher up the pitch. But you do lose that off-the-ball work that Bruno has in spades.
1: Yeah, I hated it. Absolutely hated it. You know, I, I know everyone wants to see Pogba play as a 10. But the way United are playing today, they're playing with a false nine. Now, there is a difference. That's why we call them different names. You know, we don't call it a number 10. We call it a false nine because that's what the role is in this system. Can Paul Pogba play as a false nine? Well, in theory, yes. But what do I want my false nine to do in the first instance? I want him to press with energy. Does Paul Pogba press with energy? Not really. So Ole did that because he was trying to outsmart what Leicester did when they made the change. You're totally right with what you say. When Pogba came onto the pitch, there was a bit of fear there for five minutes where Leicester were trying to reorganise. And Ole tried to counter that by moving Bruno a lot deeper. And moving uh, Pogba higher up the pitch. But what you saw then, there's that Leicester settled on the ball from the back because they were like, Oh, no one's pressing us now. Lovely. This is what this is what we would like. And what did Ole do five minutes later? He changed it. He let Pogba go back to the left hand side. They effectively went four, two, three, one, more effectively. Bruno went to back to being a false nine. It's really, really important to look at the role that Bruno does in the team and why it is integral to how United play. So what is a difference between a false 9, a 10 and say maybe a trecarista, which I've talked about in the past? The real difference is, is that if you are a false 9, you are the Firmino man. That's what Liverpool that's what Liverpool play with. They let Firmino go and do that work centrally and they say to him, you don't have to be Sergio Aguero. You don't have to be my best finisher in the world. You don't have to be Haaland. What we want you to do is go and do the work in that space where maybe the number 10 would vacate it, where maybe a treachery would go roaming, but we need you to go and press. When you're playing that system, well, well and good, that's fine. But Bruno needs to go and press. That's what's the first most important thing to do. Pogba, not that he can't do it, but it's just not natural to him. And you could see that when they were set up in that 4-2-3-1 with Pogba at the top, that three was very flat. And you could kind of see they didn't really know what they were doing. The two wider players then were kind of going wait, hang on, do we go before Paul or do we back Paul up and tell Paul to push on? But when you're having to work those things out, you can't do that in a game in the Premier League because you get punished. They pass through you, then they're through onto your back four and you you get stuffed. That's kind of how it works. So you have to do something that's more natural. Um, when Bruno went back to playing that role, what happened? Cavani drops into the pocket, picks up a really nice pass from Bae, which I thought was a fantastic ball from the centre-back. Cavani turns, little run, plays it through the channel. Bruno breaks the channel. Bruno's in the box. Bruno finishes. It's as simple as that. That comes about playing that role of being a false nine to perfection. Can Paul Pogba do that? Does Paul Pogba score goals like that? I don't think I've ever seen him in his career break that little channel and slot it away. It's not what he does. He's a creative, but let him create a little bit further back. That's really what he likes to do. I think he's better playing in a three on the left-hand side of an attack where he's got space to operate and where he can kind of do his best work.
0: I agree, Rob. And also for me, I prefer Pogba deeper. I actually, if you're going to go and play a four, two, three, one, you want Bruno further forward. And I, I'm quite happy with Pogba sitting in the double pivot, but also going to Bruno 31 goals and assists in 28 Premier League games. That's, that's mind-blowingly good. Outrageous. Isn't it? That's, well, absolutely outrageous. I mean, that's, that's from midfield as well. We're not talking about strikers. It's absolutely fantastic. Rob, we're going to take some questions, but before I do that, let's just talk about United's finishing. Now, Jamie Vardy gets one chance, and he scores a little bit lucky, deflects off uh, to Zabi, But United's lack of clinical finishing, for me, is what cost us today. We created; it could have been about five-two. We created more than enough good chances. Rashford early on was a, that was a shocking miss, and uh, you know that's ultimately cost United a little bit. And then you have the one again, uh, one later on where Schmeichel saved it. it. wasn't a good save; it was a poor finish. United, look, attacking wise, they need to be a lot more clinical. And until we do that, we won't be able to go to the next level and challenge, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those strange ones. We talk about the word clinical because if you score goals, everyone says that you're clinical, and if you miss chances, they say you're not. And again, it becomes a binary thing. Now, let's take Rashford, for example. Now, we've talked a lot about Marcus Rashford's shoulder injury. And we said last week, the, you know, when he was making his runs off the ball, that he looked like he was fitter again, that the shoulder wasn't a problem. And I think today the shoulder looked like it was an issue again. Now, how do we know this? You could see that, again, in his press, that that, that he wasn't really kind of committed to his press like he can be. Is it because it's the day after Christmas? Who knows? You know, it's one of those funny things. Boxing days day is always a, uh, can be a tiring day for footballers. I remember seeing Manchester United get walloped 4-0 at Old Trafford on Boxing Day by QPR. It wasn't a very nice experience when I was a kid. Um, and, you know, it looked like nobody could run that day. I think today when you looked at Marcus, you know, he gets that chance earlier on with the header, doesn't he? And he just doesn't execute. Now you can say... Marcus, you need to be clinical in that in that moment. And he wasn't. And he flicks his head at it and he doesn't even hit the target. But then, of course, minutes later, he gets the ball to feet. He slots in the bottom corner and we feel good again. Now, towards later on in the game, I don't know if you saw, Harvey Barnes pulled Rashford's arm. Did you see that at all with 20 yeah. minutes to go? Yeah, he, was, he went down in agony,
0: didn't he? He yeah, pulled he, his he, arm,
1: he, which is, yeah, it was a nothing thing. He pulled his arm and Rashford fell to the floor and was holding his shoulder. So that tells you that Marcus Rashford's still having a problem with that shoulder. It's not healed. And that means that Marcus Rashford might not be as clinical as we want him to be. Now, Martial did get a chance, got through, was offside, slotted his chance away very nicely, didn't he? So we can't say he's not clinical because he hit the target and scored, but he's offside. I think it's a, it's a much bigger question for Manchester United's attack and how we play. And the sense that this United's attack is built around Bruno Fernandes, with all the kind of bit players doing their their parts in the system. So Rashford and Martial have to do their kind of roles or what they've been trained to do in the last 12 months or so, and that's fine. Do they need to become better finishers? Yes, I think we can kind of all agree on that. But I don't think it's as simple as just saying be more clinical. It would help maybe if United had a clinical entity in the attack somewhere, like a Haaland, that you could lean on. But they've got Cavani for that this season. But Cavani himself is not always that clinical. You know, he gets chances, but he does miss chances. That means that he's not that clinical, even though he scored, you know, a zillion goals in like two or 300 appearances going back for PSG. So that's why I'm saying the word clinical doesn't always, that isn't necessarily what you always need. You just need to make sure the system works so you can go and beat teams. Beating teams is what it's about. So if you score once or four or 10, it doesn't really matter. It's getting three points. That's what matters. And in today's situation for United, if they defend two goals a little bit better, keep the ball a little bit better, stay goal side a little bit better, really basic stuff, they win. And that's really the difference, I think, between having an effective attack and maybe one that doesn't hit the target enough. Under Jose, United just have one or two shots on target per game. And that, of course, is nowhere near near good enough because it's it's squeezing the margins too much where you're hoping that one shot goes in United create a lot United you know if you have 20 chances you're not going to score 17 goals are you you know the whole point is is that you only put two or three of those 20 chances away and that would be a conversion rate of about you know six percent ten percent conversion rate doesn't have to be huge what you have to do is create and I think United are getting better at that but it's not quite there yet. You know, that that, that goal was a great goal from Bayi to Cavani and to, uh, to Bruno's finish. I felt really high on that because I thought, that's the kind of goal we don't see from United, cutting people through the middle with creativity. We're always relying on pace, you know, not skill. And that was a really good moment. I hope to see more of that in the weeks ahead. And I want to see Bruno carry on as the false nine. I don't want to see Pogba up there. I don't want to see anyone else doing that job. People might say Donny can do it and he can, but Donny doesn't make that run either. You know, Donny doesn't make the kind of run that Bruno does in that channel. Donny's more of a kind of late runner rather than making the early positive run like a striker.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And H. uh, Mons Money's got a comment here. RXG was 2.2 to their 0.8, I believe. Mm -hmm. So I think defending and silly errors let us down. Absolutely. We're going to take some questions now. Usman's got a question here. Thank you for your question, mate. Do you guys think Maguire should be communicating and organising better, seeing as he is our captain? (laughs) You go first, Rob.
1: Yeah, I, look, I've said in again in uh, previous podcasts that I think Maguire needs to keep talking, you know. that's But one of the things that you hear from Manchester United and from the camp when the players talk is that he is a guy who goes and does his talking into people's ears. So that's how he, he actually operates as a captain. That's why he's seen as a leader at Manchester United. Now, we can criticise his game and stuff that he does and how he kind of organises on the pitch, I think one of the things since we've had no fans in the ground and a lot of my colleagues who are at games is that they always say that the person they can hear from the stands is Harry Maguire. So there's a little bit of a misconception that he doesn't communicate or that he's completely mute and he doesn't talk to people. That's not really true. He's one of these people who kind of does do his organising. He just maybe not. Maybe he's not as expressive as a Roy Keane. You can't read his face of thunder where he's pointing and shouting and having a go at people. He's a little bit more poker face, but he does do talking. Um, I think we might have stumbled on something here in terms of what you do with the Maguire-Lindelof axis, including Baye. You know, for me, I'm not that high on Baye. I think he makes mistakes. But in t- this system that we saw today, it suits him because he's given a soulless responsibility to look after that channel. And you say to him, whatever goes through there, you just you just go, Eric. You look after that. And I think when he's in a two-in and a pair, he doesn't know whether to stick or twist. And that doesn't help United because it makes United look slow and cumbersome. But today, I think it worked really well. I think Maguire is comfortable being in the left channel. I think it gives him more opportunity to run out with the ball. And as a captain, yeah, great. You know, we need to talk about leadership. But I'm more bothered about his football. I'm always bothered about people's football first. And I think in recent weeks, his football has been good. And in the pairings, today, looking at how United set up, it suited him to have Luke Shaw much further to his left and advanced. It gave him an outlet pass that sometimes he doesn't have when United are playing more of a flat back four. And he gets an exposed because if he loses the ball, what happens? He gets outrun, doesn't he? Because he's not quick. So Oli has to so- solve those issues on the training ground and find tactics that help his captain.
0: I agree. And on Eric Bay, I think, I think he played well today, Rob, but he's definitely not the long-term option. He is made of glass, as we know, but also he's uh, he's very rash for me. He's either fantastic, there's two extremes, or he's or he's making silly mistakes. But a lot of that comes down to the fact that he hasn't played enough and he hasn't developed. When he first came to United, he was a fantastic prospect. I mean, he was brilliant in that first season, but the injuries um, have accumulated. He's missed out on such important developmental time and game time. And that's something I do worry a little bit with Axel, that I think he needs to be playing a little bit more at this stage of his career. Um, But let's go to the next question from Lakesh. Our priority for the January window. For me, Rob, I tweeted it right after the came centre-back. You need to go and get a centre-back. I love a defensive midfielder, but very unlikely you're going to get your top target. I think United need to go and find a quality centre-back and someone who has that recovery pace. If you're not going to play Axel, because I'm still a little bit stumped as to why Ollie's not playing Axel more. It's tactical.
1: That's why we do this podcast. You know, like if United could just go and pick a centre back up in January who solves all your problems, then great. But we've, like we just said 10 minutes ago, who? Who do you go and get? Do you just go and knock on Leipzig's door and say, right, give us Upper Makana now, please?
0: They're not going to be Uwe. him, really. That's that's the obvious option. It,
1: it, it's it, It's got to be him in an idealistic world. And we don't live in an idealistic world in football. So that's why the January transfer window is generally full of duds. It's players who need to be moved on, who need minutes, who kind of got sick of sitting on benches. And Manchester United do not need that kind of role player at the moment. So like I said to you, if, for instance, Bayern Munich go, we don't like this situation with Alaba, it's time to move him on and get as much as we can get because his contract's about to disappear and we don't want to do this. And there is a chance that will happen because Bayern don't like the situation and what what Alaba is demanding then you go and do it, execute that deal. But I think we have to put our grounding within reality, Haydar. We really, really do. And I think with the January transfer window, one thing that Gary Neville said the other week, and I agree with it, is that if you cannot improve your squad, then you don't do any business in January. Manchester United have not got the money to take the, the cash out of the summer transfer window that's coming up at the end of the season to just spend it in January, splurge it, and maybe do some more pawn recruitment, which they have done in the past. So you look at what you've got. What have you got a centre-back at the moment? You've got Maguire. You've got Lindelof, who we've both said have played quite well this season. You've got To and to still break his way in, into that kind of pairing. Bailly looks pretty healthy at the moment, but as we said, is kind of made a paper and could tear at any moment. And that gives you four centre-backs. If you're going to buy centre-back number five, it's because you're going to move one of the other ones out you've got Mengi as well to come into that system. So you're saying there, you know, let's go and buy a centre back, but that, I just think it's a bit too championship manager. You know, it, it, it makes sense on paper because you just want to improve positions, but it doesn't make sense in reality or in football terms that, You know, when you're looking at the numbers, you kind of say to yourself, right, if I'm going to lose someone, if I'm going to sell Rojo and Jones and get rid of them in January, then maybe with their wage, I can tempt someone to come to the football club. But then it might be a journeyman. It might be you're looking at someone like, you know, of a Johnny Evans stature to say, no, I just need some experience there. I don't think that's what United want at the moment. United would like to buy a primary centre-back going forward. Um, They want to kind of find their laporte like when City went and did that business. But Up if I'm Up and Meccano, do I think that Manchester United is where I'm going next? I'm not sure. And if I'm Up and Meccano, I'm thinking, buy me Liverpool, buy me Man City. I want to go to your clubs at the moment because you're kind of more the finished article and I can take you over the top in the Champions League or take you over the top back in the Premier League. Is United the team I would go to at the moment? Not necessarily sure it would be. But I think for Manchester United's problems, we still have got maybe one or two other issues and there might be the huge issue of Paul Pogba leaving the football club at the end of the season or even in January but I think it's more likely next summer and then your money must go on a midfielder doesn't matter whether you think centre-back strong enough or not you must go and buy a top midfielder who can go and fill that role and can actually sit in there play a six play an eight play different systems and maybe give you something a little bit more focused than Pogba does give you. As I said, today was Pogba's problem, you know, in terms of he just switched off in that moment, was caught goal side. uh, wasn't our goal side twice. United lose the game. It's a small mistake, but it's significant. They're the things that you need to go and work on in transfer markets. Uh, I'd love to a new center back, but it's got to be the right center back. You know, unless you're going to go and get your Van Dijk, then I'm not interested. I'm not interested in center
0: backs. Go and get me a center back. That's world-class, but so, so what do you want? Do you want a right-back? Because we've discussed the right-back. I would back like... A, I would if like... there was a position, right-winger, Sancho, questions about Sancho, do you think United should go back into him? Something that frustrates me, Rob, about the Sancho situation is that clearly, look, people need to remember players are human beings. He was... He wanted the United move, as we, we discussed many times in the summer when you came on the podcast, and he didn't get that move. Mentally, that's taken a bit of a hit. He's not suddenly a rubbish player. He's not suddenly overrated. He's having a difficult season. Fans too quickly to jump on, you know, poor performance and like and, and good performances. But should United be going back in there? Because there are a lot of reports saying United are still interested in James Sancho. I know we've got Diallo coming in. He looks really exciting. Pellissi's still got to develop. He's about, I reckon, he's about six months to a year away from being considered for the first team. So do United go back in for that position? Does he change the, the needle that much towards the gap between us and Liverpool? Well, no, he doesn't. And that's
1: part of the problem. So look at it this way. You're right. Fans will react. You know, if they see poor performances, what are they going to do? They're going to get on Twitter. They're going to slam him. They're going to rip strips off him. That's normal. I think when you look at Jadon Sancho and his £108 million valuation, if he'd come to Manchester United with, say, the current form that he's in, the world would have burnt down by now. People would be going crazy about bringing him in. You know, he might have only got four assists and maybe a goal here or there. And people would be like, 108 million. And it would be same, the same situation that maybe Paul Pogba found himself in for, for the last four years. Um, I do look at it like this. Manchester United are is still interested in Jaden Sancho. I said that at the time, and I still believe that. That's what we're hearing. But I think that, say, Jaden Sancho doesn't have a very impact, impactful season this year, and uh, Dortmund are obviously under new management, and they're going to be trying different things going forward and maybe different shapes or, or how they want to kind of set up. If you get to next summer and Jaden Sancho has had a significant dip in his form, what are Manchester United gonna do? They're gonna say, We want the player, here's 80 million.
0: Yeah, cut the price.
1: So it, this this is the game, this is the poker game, you know, that that is the football transfer market, and this is how it works. And it, it does work specifically to how we're talking about. And if you get him for say 78 million, something like that, and you've just saved yourself. 35 million or something around that mark. That's the difference between making your profit when it comes to end of year profits and revenues with your with the stock exchange and how you're setting up and not making it. And that's really important. I know football fans don't think it is, but if you're Edward Wood and you're the Glazers, these are these are owners that don't want to spend money out of their pocket. They don't want to be flash and rash. You know, they 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 kind of they'll spend money and they have done, spent almost a billion pounds in the last eight years crazy amount of money but they've just bought badly and I think they were worried about Jaden Sancho that if they bought someone at the top end of their value like that that it could be an issue if they don't get immediate returns it probably was clever more more clever to get Cavani for nothing and a bit of a wage and say have a year with us have two years maybe even if you're up to it and then carry on the build. So what you, you the original question you asked me was, what position would I look at? You know, I wouldn't look at the right side of the attack at the moment. Why? Because I think United have got Greenwood, they've got Diallo to come in, and they've got Palestri. That's three players. You've got mata, that's four players. You could play Rashford on that side. That's five players. They've got players to do that role. Now, they might not be specialists. You know, I've just unfortunately just left out Dan James who played today. You know, he's a player that can play that role. He's not someone that I would start a lot but he can play it. There are other positions that United need to look at. I think right back is something for me that could become potentially a problem because I've gone a bit cold on Aaron wan when I've looked at his numbers and what he does and what we have talked about on the podcast. He gets done way too many times on the inside. He doesn't get done on the outside. But football isn't about the outside anymore. You don't have wingers who touch go you know, go on the touchline and go to the byline and swing the ball back in. It doesn't really work like that. You have players who come in the channel and exploit you on the inside. It's the blind side because you can't see them when you're faced up here and your market and your play has gone inside there and you're looking here. You can't see what's happening there. And Wambasaka has very very little awareness of what is going on yeah, inside It's a, it's a massive
0: problem, Rob. You and can't that's just a, be good at side tackling. That's
1: a problem. So I need someone that can allow Aaron to be a defender. But when United need to go and be progressive, I need someone who's going to overlap, get crosses in and get assists. So I would like a right back. I think also that you might have to look to future-proof Manchester United, that if you really do know that Paul Pogba is leaving, and Manchester United will know, Manchester United will know where they are with the player, that you need to go and look to get a player that negates that issue. And that will be a huge issue for United. If you lose Pogba in the summer, you've got to go and find a ball player, if not two, because Paul Pogba can do seven different things that maybe United fans are not that keen on or don't really kind of buy into. But you need players in that position to then go and let Scott McTominay be Scott McTominay and let Fred go and be Fred. You know, you need to have someone that brings the best out of those players. Um, They're the two positions I would address in the immediacy. Um, Will they happen in January? You know, I've done 20 transfer windows now, Haydar, in my job. Yeah, it doesn't
0: work in January. January is a horrible time to do it. I can only think of three, Rob. Bruno Fernandes and then Ever and Vidic came in, but they were really poor. Remember Ever's first game? um he was he had an absolute shocker and obviously got pulled at half time but usually in January we, we signed Alexis Sanchez in January so you can only think of three players really off the top of my head maybe you'll be able to think about a few more but generally speaking January isn't the best time to do business but if you're not in touching distance Rob and they need that extra injection then I think it's logical to there are some players available but it's about money isn't it really at the end yeah. of the day how much do we have
1: i I'll add Louis Saha to that, came in in January and was really, really good. But you're right. Evra was junk for the first six months and Vidic looked like he didn't know what the Premier League was and looked exposed and scared and didn't know how to play the position yet. Six months on a year later, both of them look world-class. So, that, you know, you have to be patient sometimes with players. And that's why January is a bad time to just integrate a player because everything's been set out for months from your pre-season, even though Man United really didn't have one. But you've got players that know what they're doing. And that's why Teller's hasn't played games. You know, that's why Tuinzebi's not really played. He's been out of the picture with injury and with illness. So you drop him back in and he has to now learn the system almost like a new player. Now, he he knows those players better than, say, Teller's does. But it's a similar problem. If you bring someone in in January, it's someone that has to kind of hit the ground running, but you've also have to make concessions for them. So if you brought in a right back, they'd have to learn that, oh, what have I got inside me? I've got two centre-backs who are quite slow. That means I can't start on the halfway line. I might have to start, 15, 20 yards back and that's not my game. So that's something that the scouting department at Manchester United have to assess and that's something that Ole has to assess. And I think with Telez, that was the crux. You know, the reason why they went for Telez and not Regulon, and I think, we, you know, when you look at uh, Regulon, it's not that he's not, a, he's not a good player, but because he's a little bit more of a kind of up and down player in terms of how he plays, and people say, oh, yeah, he might have been right for Man United. There was no way that that deal was right for Man United in a sense because if he has a good season, he's going back to Real Madrid. It's just as simple as that. So, you know, Tellez gives you maybe three or four years in that position and allows you to carry on your build at left-back. And then you might just say to Luke Shaw, right, if you're not doing it, if you're not the player that I feel who can take United forward, then I'll go and buy another left-back in time. You know, Delo is starting games at AC Milan. Do I see Delo coming back at playing right back for Man United? No. Why? Because the Premier League is a different animal to Syria. So, you know, the options for United still look a little bit thin at right back. I think United need to just be calm in this window. If a good deal comes up, go and execute it. If Alaba comes up, sell the house. Give every penny you've got to buy Munich and say we want that player because Alaba is a game-changer. World-class, de- Rob. Defence in midfield, centre-back, full-back. Back. He'll make the sandwiches. He'll make cups of tea. He'll do everything for Manchester United, and he'll make Manchester United a much better entity. They'll score more goals. They'll stop more goals, and they'll become title challengers in the blink of an eye. That's how good Alaba is. I get that people don't see that because... They don't watch the Bundesliga or they're not aware of Alaba. Alaba's one of these players. He's
0: world world class, Rob. He's world class at several positions.
1: He's gone under the radar forever. You know, and people talk about Alaba. I've talked to people over the past and they go, what does he kind of do? Does he do anything? And you think, you know, there's a reason why Alaba's got tons of medals in in his trophy cabinet. It's because he's really good. You know, so if you get Alaba at the age that he's at and you say to him, and you can sell the Manchester United project to him and say, you're coming to Manchester United and you're going to be the difference and you're going to take United to the Premier League title that's where we want to be and you're that player he might fancy it he might go yeah I'm up for it and oh what's that 300 grand a week you want to pay me oh yeah okay that sounds good as well so there's all these kind of tick boxes exercises that play, players and clubs do yeah you can get him in January go and get Alaba but there is a chance that Alaba will just sign a new deal with Bayern Munich carry on winning trophies in Germany and we will finish ca- his career there
0: uh, I, I do think Rob. that he's He's got the pick of every single club in the world. Real and Barca will want him. PSG, City, Chelsea are in, interested. Even Liverpool could want him. He has the pick. I'm not being a bit of a Debbie Downer here, but why would he choose Man United, really? Money.
1: Money money, money, money. We pay more than most clubs. You just, you mentioned Alexis Sanchez a minute ago. Um, There's your example. You know, if you pay someone enough, they'll, they'll come and they might regret it on the first day of training, like Alexis Sanchez said he did, but they might not, they might actually come and do the job. So overall, you know, yeah, you're right. Alaba has got the pick. And if he wants to say at his age at 28, he wants to pay five years in Spain because that's his his goal and his dream, then he'll accept 200 grand a week to go and play for Real Madrid or for Barcelona and he'll kind of finish his career there, maybe help those big super giants. But Manchester United are also a super giant, you know, and the Premier League is still the biggest league in the world. There's no doubt about it. It's a much more attractive league now than it's ever been before because the money is still in the Premier League. There's no way that Real Madrid or Barcelona could compete with maybe the top six in England at the moment, in terms of wages, they just can't. They haven't got the money. COVID has destroyed the Spanish economy even more than it has the English one. So these clubs in England have more money because they have backers and investors. And you're right, you know, I, I, you know what would Alaba be looking for? If it is a kind of dream ticket to kind of have a Madrid shirt on his chest for the foreseeable future, then, yeah, he'll go to one of those clubs and he'll accept 200 grand a week. However, if he wants 300 grand a week or 350 400 or even 450 he's coming to England so United are in the mix that's what that means and Manchester United is still an attractive proposition for foreign talent for foreign talent there's no doubt about it you know they can still attract a team you know look at Cavani you know even he's at the end of his career Cavani could have gone anywhere Cavani was a free agent, could have gone anywhere. He could have gone to Real Madrid. He could have gone to Barcelona. Barcelona might have picked him up and said, we lose
0: losing Suarez. Him,
1: were we loo- are losing Suarez. Suarez is going to Atletico. So Cavani come and play for us. And he could have gone there. There's options for these players, you know, especially good players. Um, United is still uh, an attractive destination for all the top talent in the world. It's just that you have to make sure the deal is correct and that you're not bringing in just a mercenary. You're you're bringing in someone who wants to win. You need to basically go and let Bruno Fernandes go and do all your business because Bruno is that man United to win. You know, he gets paid a good wage and he's going to get an even bigger deal now in the next few months. I'm sure they'll rip that contract up. And give him the contract that he's worth because he's gonna he's gonna get a new new set of figures, and no doubt about it. And he is the archetypal player that you want. Go and find a player that wants to win, that loves the idea of taking United back to the next level and find that player. If it's not available in January, then hold off. Wait. You know, you're still gonna be in a good chance of getting top four. You're probably not gonna get ahead of Liverpool, even if you buy someone, you're probably not gonna ha- get ahead of City even if you buy someone. So it's the same quest. Top four is where you want to be, and you need to go and win games. I think we've seen it with United; they've not played that well at times, but it's still winning games. You kind of go, "Ah, oh, it should have won today." We're talking about United beating Leicester, and we say Leicester are a good team. So, balancing points, nearly there. United, go and find that key one or two players that take you over the line.
0: Just to add to that, Rob. This is. That's actually where the progress is because we're sitting here at the end of the game. We've drawn against a really good Leicester side who are obviously sitting at the top of the table with us and we're saying we're disappointed. We feel like it's two-point shot. That's progress. And the second thing to do with the progress and the squad is that we, we brought Cavani off the bench. Three, four months ago, at end of last season, we are bringing Igalo off the bench. That's progress for me. So that's a positive. I'm going to read out this question here, Rob. Do you think, it's quite a good question, we need a better systematic way of chance creation, i.e. Man City-style cutbacks? I see this quite a lot. I see a lot of people ask, what is a Manchester United goal? You look at City, the cutbacks are something they do a lot. Liverpool like to cross it as well. Obviously, the out-to-in runs as well. What is a classic Man United goal? For me, I would say it's counter-attacking. The reason why United have such a good away record is because we're a fantastic counter-attacking side. So, for me, if that's what we're going to talk about as a classic or systematic, you know, sort of style of play or a United goal, it would be a counter-attacking goal.
1: Yeah, look, the truth is this. You know, when you're a football team who want to win trophies, you've got to score all types of goals. So, I would like the classic Man United goal to be five-yard tap-ins because you know what? From five yards, you're more likely to score than miss. So, if you can create and get the ball into the six-yard box... And whether you have one striker that puts it away or maybe a late runner like a van der Beek or someone like that coming in from deep. That's what I would like to see. What's a classic Man United goal? Well, of course, counter attack. But United are really good at carving through teams with two or three passes with pace. But it's also much it's much easier to defend against against a more wide ranging opponent who can just sit and play the low block and say, come on to us. Now, I don't want to see that with Man United. You're talking about the Man City system there. Now, City play that cutback. Why do they play that cutback? Well, it's because all their midfielders are are geared towards being those kind of talents, aren't they? Edge of the box or just around there. Who am I? I'm Kevin De Bruyne. Give me the ball and I'll score. Oh, I'm Bernardo Silva. Yeah, Silva, give me the ball. I'll score. In the past, David Silva. That's what they do. You know, even Sterling maybe plays more as a striker. When they're on the front foot, he'll actually go and push himself towards the beyond the penalty spot. So I don't think that's a classic Man City goal. What City do really well is that they'll hurt you in 10 different ways. Liverpool tend to hurt you in in several different ways, you know, with their front three. They don't just do, they're not, they're not kind of just Johnny on the spot. Yeah, we do this and then we score a goal. They hurt you in different ways. That's what United need to become. And there is signs of that. There is signs of it today. So, like you we talk about the goal that we scored for the second, and Cavani was the striker. He dropped out the false nine, took the striker's spot, made the channel run, took a touch, smashes it away, and United score a goal that's not very Manchester United. That's what we need to see more of. That's how you get higher up the table. Because you can't read that. Leicester are looking at that and they're going, We didn't we didn't see that Cavani was going to drop out there. That didn't, that's not something that we thought about. And that's how you need to beat opponents week to week to week by doing different things and doing them well. And the only way to do that effectively, Haydar, over one, two, three or four years is bring in different talent that can do different things. And that's I was happy. going to say that right That's wrong. why I'm happy about Blender Bay yeah. because he's a different talent. And yeah, he's not getting minutes, but I can tell you, when you know, which we go through this Christmas period, there'll be a game or two or three where you think, I just need a second runner now from deep. So, what do I do? Do I play a diamond? Do I play Donnie at the top of it? You know, what if Bruno gets injured? You need someone who can do something a little bit different. And United addressed that in the last transfer window. And there's still upside. Like, you know, I don't think is going to have a, an impact when he comes in because he's a boy and is a boy. But they give you different options that if they get hot, you might be able to use them off the bench for 15, 20 minutes. That might be the difference between earning six or seven or eight points more a season. And that might be the difference between coming third in the league and coming sixth. So those things do matter.
0: I Also to add, Rob, United, obviously looking at that young lad, uh, Moises Caicedo. I did a podcast with Simon Edwards, he's a fantastic South American journalist. You've uh, seen a little bit of him. What's your thoughts on him?
1: Yeah, I think he's the perfect kind of signing for United if the deal goes through. And it does look like the deal will go through. Um, He's been hot. For a little while in South America, he's been talked about in all sorts of terms about his upside and what he can do. Um, There's this obvious comparison, because he mentioned it himself, about being kind of Kante-Pogba hybrid, meaning that he can be that box-to-box player. However, defensively, he does all of the work that you want him to do and that he can also score a goal. He knows what to do in those situations. Um, He's a player that needs development. You know, if you buy him in January, does he change United? For me, probably not. But what you can do is you drop him into the system and you teach him and you say, right, this is how we play. This is how Fred plays. This is how McTominay plays. And you see that guy over there, Paul Pogba, he's really good, but he's not going to be here in six months. So he's off. So we want you to kind of do some of the things that he does. That's how you teach and progress. Um, There's a, you know there's no risk with signing a player like that. And United have got to get lucky with one of these players. You know, when you bring them in, if they've got all this upside, it's then up to you to develop. And he might be the player that United need saying a year, but you just get him in January because that's the way the market is. There's a big change in terms of Brexit with players coming in uh, in their age group. So the permits are changing, and that means that Manchester United probably wouldn't want to do this deal till next summer. They'd like to see the player more, play more games. But because of the the new uh, laws in terms of work permits, they need to do this deal before really Brexit goes through and before the new laws come in. And that's why they're looking at him now at this moment. But, but I don't think he's a risk, you know. I think like with Palestri, they wanted to they, they wanted him to stay there, but then they thought, right, let's bring him in house and develop him and get him in the under twenty threes. This could be the same scenario with these all these young players at Manchester
0: United signing. Completely agree. And Reese says here, low risk and high reward signing. So Rob, let's talk about the final word before we wrap up. What I'm going to say is that it's a positive. I'm sitting here thinking, Man United should have won that game. And the fact I'm a little bit disappointed we didn't get the three points because that shows how far we come. We've gone to a really good Leicester side, well-drilled, some really brilliant players. And for me, we created the more clear-cut chances. And I think in the long run, it'll be a good point. But United are on the right path, progressing well, still in good form, didn't lose the game. We have quality change on the bench. So for me, positive. And then we move on to Wolves. Yeah, you should never get too upset about a draw ever,
1: you know, unless that draw really messes you up in the running or something like that, where you need a victory and you just can't do it for whatever reason, then there's no real reason to kind of get too upset about it. Leicester are a good team. I think Leicester probably deserved a point out of all of it. You know, like we could say United edged it. Leicester maybe edged the first half, I think in terms of possession, Um, but you know, not too upset about those things. It was more interesting for me today to see the tactics, to see the different roles that players were playing uh, you, you could have said before the game if Ollie was going to set up like that, he might have been tempted to play Teles to say to Teles, go and stand on the halfway line and give me some more upside going forward. But I think you know Ollie was definitely very much aware of the space between the left-sided defender being Shaw this week and say giving him an outlet there for Harry Maguire and that those two players just know each other a little bit more. There was one spell I think with a, where Shaw plays a terrible back pass to De Gea and De Gea clips it. Uh, back out to Maguire and then Maguire's all over the place because he's slow and he doesn't know what's going on and then the ball comes out to Shore again and you just, you know, had your heart in your mouth just in that moment. That's why you actually play Luke Shaw because they know each other a bit more. Tellers might have made a mess of that situation or Tellers might have just turned and gone up the other end of the pitch of it. So I was more interested in those things today in terms of the selection and I think Ole got it right but the players didn't quite execute in those two moments for the goals it's two points lost because United should have won it in 10 minutes to go when you've got the lead. You're always in that scenario where you just need to lock up. But we do know that Manchester United are not particularly good at maybe closing out five minutes when they're in the lead. If it had been the other way around and it had been one-all and United chasing it, or maybe United were losing 2-1, United would have chucked the kitchen sink at them and might have scored four goals because <laughs> they're that kind of, you know, <laughs> they misrepresent. Crazy. Yeah, crazy. They yeah. misrepresent of what football needs to be at those kind of moments. They, they just kind of You know, they can be really hyper and just kind of, you know, punish teams for that. But they didn't do that. They were trying to see it out and they didn't get it right. And they went to the 4-2-3-1 at that moment. They they could have probably just gone to 5-4-1 at that moment with six minutes to go and just played five-yard passes and really suffocated the game. That's the Man United I want to see in in months to come. I want to see them learn to defend as a unit, but not forsake their attacking game for it you know for 80 minutes you can be a team that goes out to hurt the opponent but for the last 10 minutes if you're winning shut the shop close the doors take the points and go home
0: completely agree with that Rob we will be back after the Wolves game that is on the 29th and that is a late kickoff at 8 p.m so we'll be going live straight after Rob thank you so much to all the listeners for listening thank you for joining me as usual Rob This is the Masterclass, the number one Manchester United tactical podcast brought to you by Manscaped. And we will see you next time.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.